We're building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. Hey guys, it's Ken Harrison, the host of the show here, and I want to thank you for joining us each week for some of the really incredible topics that we have, important topics, controversial topics, where we just come at these issues. Uh, what does the Bible say about them? Not the, what do we think about them, not what do our prejudices think about them, not what does culture tell us to think about them, but how should we process these different issues through God's Word? And so we decided to put a couple of best of episodes together, because uh, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the stories that we've had, like with Phil Robertson talking about the guys running out of his duck blind after trying to exterminate it, you know, from the cotton mouse and the wasps and everything, or thinking about Steve Berger's incredibly touching story about losing his son, or Matt Matera talking about the struggles with um, suicide and the suicide culture that we have going on. We've had so many unbelievable episodes that um, we thought, let's just take some clips of these. This will be a great introduction for those of you who've never seen the show. For those of you who have seen this show, it'll be a great reminder of like some of the great moments that we've had together. I want to take this moment just to read one of the reviews that we've gotten on the show that's been so cool. I look forward to every Thursday when this podcast comes out. There's no fear when it comes to difficult topics, and it always comes back around to what Christians can do about them to make a difference. Ken is a warrior for Christ, and he and his guests do an incredible job of challenging all Christians to stand up for the Lord in a time when our country needs us the most. I'm very excited for what Promise Keepers is doing. And this podcast is an inspiring one. Thanks for what you're doing. Well, thank you guys for tuning in and for watching this. Tell your friends about it. Get them involved because these topics are so incredibly important and so few people are really talking about them. We got to start standing up for truth. We got to start being candid about who we are. We got to start being vulnerable and authentic with each other, sharpening each other, challenging each other to live for Christ every day. Thank you, guys, and I hope you enjoyed these few best of series. Thank you. How did you get so successful? And then number two, how did you become so courageous? Because I think men listen to you guys and like, I want to be like them, but I don't know if I can. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, this is Jason. I'll tackle the success part. Um, and first, I would say that um, faithfulness in your work leads to promotion and faithfulness in your walk leads to persecution at least we're not going with the bees but you know what i'm saying like it's another it's it's what god is calling for is faithfulness and whether you're persecuted or promoted you don't have any control over that all god wants you to do is be faithful right where you are and so we operated by a certain set of principles that we discovered in the bible and so it doesn't matter if you are working for a man who owns a landscape company, or if you're the person who's actually making the eggs at Waffle House, or if you're CEO of Waterstone Financial, doesn't matter where you are. What God is calling for is faithfulness for you to make your work, your worship. And when you're faithful in the little, God promises that he is going to bless that abundantly. And you'll do things like you'll give more in value than you take in pay, wherever you are. And we teach people that, like that was one of our core principles. Whatever we do, we're going to give more value than we take in pay. We're going to be a fountain and not a drain, just like your water fountain. It's always looking for a source, right? If the water fountain had feelings, it's just like, give me the source, and it wants the source of water. A drain, on the other hand, if it's got feelings, it's always looking for a fountain, 
It's like wanting to attach to a fountain, but the fountain wants to attach to the source. And we say, attach to the source. You get up every morning and spend good time in, in, in prayer and Bible study and recognize where Jesus was at 29 years old. You see, the New Testament shows us Jesus from 30 to 33. We get a glimpse when he's a baby, a glimpse when he's 12, but nothing from 12 to 29, right? But what do we know about him? He was working. He was working. What do you think his workday looked like? He'd get up in the morning and spend time with God, his heavenly father, and then he'd go out there and he'd kick butt at his job. Right. He was excellent at what he did, and then he got paid for it. And so we would say, you approach work like that, and then profit will chase you down. You don't have to go after it. You don't have to think, I've got to try to make all this money. All you have to do is be faithful in the little, give more value than you take in pay, and then be a fountain and not a drain wherever you go and just watch what happens with your success. And so well, to summarize what you're saying, you're saying basically seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 100%. and all these things will be added to you. That's right? another way to a say really it. A really wise wow. man said that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's, that's 100%. And so to to finish what Jason just said, and I'll give it, it – there's a little statement, and we say to young kids all the time. I just said it at a pro-life rally on Saturday, 500 young people. I said, you focus on depth and let God handle your breadth. Because we think about the breadth of our branches. I want to be wealthy. I want to have. I want to, you know, be famous, or I want to succeed. I want to do all these things. And mm-hmm. and 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 while that's fine, you focus on depth. In other words, you pay attention to the roots of your faith. Abide in Christ. Get into the Word of God. Be attached to the local church. Be in community. Have accountability. Submit yourself to the Lord. These are simple biblical disciplines that when you focus on that depth, God will then handle the breadth of your branches in the marketplace. That's exactly what Jason and I have seen in our own lives. We look back and we tell people that's where we start. And we we consult major CEOs and corporations and billion-dollar entrepreneurs. Jason and I talk to them, and they're like, hey, I'm really struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. And every single time we start back with what is your personal routine? Walk me through 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. or 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Walk me through your day. We start right there, and I want to know everything they're doing. And then Jason and I also get into, okay, tell me what you're struggling with. Do you have secrets right now that you don't want to talk about? We get into the depth there Mm -hmm. because that's really the foundation. So a wise man builds his house on a rock, right? Okay, that's success. But then in terms of courage, When we look at King David's life, and this really meant a lot to us with HGTV because we read the Bible many years and then we're with HGTV and the story of David and Goliath really came alive to us in terms of courage. We know in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit filled the apostles with boldness. That's what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. That was the Holy Spirit. Well, what did that look like in the Old Testament? Well, David obviously was empowered by the Holy Spirit to take down that nine-foot giant, and it saved the people of God. But if you look at what happened to him before that, he was faithful in the little things, right? Tending his father's sheep. He took out the lion and the bear. No one was around. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. He didn't get to record it for himself and get all the likes and the hearts and the shares. He didn't get any of that. He was faithful in little things. So that kind of goes back to depth and breadth. But then he gets anointed by Samuel to be the king. He's already told, here he is a teenage boy, you're going to be the king. Now imagine daydreaming about that, like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be the most powerful person in the nation. Well, a few months later or a year later or however long it was after Samuel anointed David king, David's dad said, hey, David, go to the battle line, bring your brother some food. 
So then when David goes out there, he hears Goliath. Now all of a sudden, David has a choice. I was just anointed king. I've got a very bright future. I have a platform. I have a reality show. I have a church. I have a business. I have a book deal. I have a following. I have whatever it may be that has been given to us by God, just like David was given the kingdom by Samuel. Whatever it is could have held David away from the fight. But instead of being like Saul, who's sitting in his tent, he's the king of the day, and he should have been fighting Goliath, Saul saw a giant too big to fight. David saw a giant too big to miss, and David was willing to die to his dream. He was willing to die to that platform. He was willing to die to the fame, die to the fortune, die to the power, die to all that stuff to fight Goliath. We had a so there was a show that used to be on A and E. It was called Billy the Exterminator, and uh, when we first, it was before Duck Dynasty. It was, and it was a fairly popular show. And these guys were based in Shreveport, which is not too far from here, about an hour and a half down the road. And they had an exterminating company. So A&E knew that we were in the talk, in the works to have our show. So they had the idea they, they were going to get Willie and Dad on Billy the Exterminator. This kind of be a way to introduce these guys who are going to be, you know, you'll know who they are next year. So that was the idea that kind of hatched behind the plan. So their idea was, because, you, you know, reality shows, you've got to come up with some kind of foundation. They were going to come over here and exterminate one of our duck blinds because they're so good at extermination. So their show was set up. They would have this, they'd have a thing screen come up and it would say, you know, here's the problem. And then it would have mission, you know, at the bottom of it. And that was kind of, they approached it like they were going to fight this problem. And there was kind of some colorful guys. They were brothers. And so, it, so at the end of the thing, when the show ended, it would always, this thing would come back up on the screen. It would say mission accomplished because they'd gotten rid of the raccoon or the snake out of the little lady's house or whatever they were doing. So they come over here and they go out to one of those duck blinds and they get out there. And of course, I mean, there's snakes, uh, purple tail wasp, red wasp, brown recluse spider. Cotton mouths too. Yeah, so these are water moccasins. So, oh, so they enter in. So they're filming. So Dad and Willie and I wasn't there for the filming of it, which would have been even funnier. But just watching the show and they were describing it, they said they go in there and they've never heard such cursing in all their life. <laughs> <laughs> when these two guys entered in here, <laughs> there's a lot of bleeps with that episode. I mean, right? It was just and, and when you watch it, it was beep 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 beep. beep. So this, they come running out of the thing, and one of them, one of the brothers, we found out later, is allergic to wasp eggs. I thought maybe you shouldn't be an exterminator. Yeah, I okay. mean, you might yeah. have picked the wrong job. And so they come out with well, this guy's face is swelling up, like we're watching it happen. So end of episode, load him up in the car and head off to the clinic because we got to get some, Holy you know, cow. stuff in this guy. So so at the end of the episode, it's like here's all the stuff, and they list all the bad things that were in this dope line. And you, all the beeping and the filming of them running out of there. And then at the end it says, mission aborted. <laughs> That's awesome. So I just thought, I mean, it was the first time people really ever saw. What they found is purple tail wasp nests, black widows, all kinds of fire ants. They build, they get up on those blinds because those blinds floating on logs. Well, those ants know that. So you got to go down there. What they didn't know was I went down there the evening before they filmed it, and I just eased up there to it, and I looked over there, and under the boat run where your boat goes to get in the blind, there were two cottonmouths coiled up there, and there was another one hanging up in kind of a bush about three feet up with coil up there, 
And I went around the other side and I looked up under the roof <laughs> and some of those wasp nests were like this. I thought, I told my buddy, I said, we're going to have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, when that film crew showed up, the last thing I saw, I put two cotton mouths. I went down a ways and caught them and I tied them in a, in a bag. I said, in case these are not here, I'll have plants. I can just plant them. So I had the sack of cotton mouths, and they were running that way. I said, hey, watch this. And I dumped the snakes out and took an AR-15. Blew the snakes all up. You know, and they were just, they said, get out of here. So you sold me that we were going to go exploring the property after this. I'm not sure I, I maybe. Well, I'm, I'm saying there's places you can go that, that would be definitely rude when you say that. I think one of the reasons that men are checking out of the church is because we've gone so far into the cheap grace thing that um, the, the, the message that's pervaded, whether, whether people mean to purvey it or not, is you said the magic prayer. And if you say the magic prayer, then Jesus comes in your heart and you can't lose your salvation. And so you got yours and you're just going to be in heaven someday with the apostle Paul and everybody else. And there's in, there's in that an inherent sense of a lack of justice. And we think, well, so you're telling me that the Apostle Paul, who was shipwrecked and freezing and starving and beaten uh, and all those things, he's just going to be in the same place that my neighbor who never did anything for anybody because he said the magic prayer. Is that right? And actually, it's not right. Um, there will be levels in heaven, rewards in heaven, and there's going to be a judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what you're referring to when you talk about the fact that the great courage and sacrifice that you've made in your life, you know that you will be rewarded for that. Your sins are forgiven. The sins of everybody who's received Christ are forgiven, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But Ephesians 2, 10 says, where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you, me, we've all had a plan that God laid down long before we were born for good works that we would do if we died to self and live for him. And we will be judged based on how we perform those works after we were saved. We didn't get to heaven by our works, but where we are in heaven will have a lot to do with what we did with our salvation. I asked you to comment on it, and then I went off to start preaching. Sorry, man. No, I know that's good. And that's a message, uh, as far as I'm concerned, Ken, that you, you can't preach too much. People need to understand this. What one of the things that really bothers me, uh, and this will surprise some people, is this attitude that God's in control. I know God's in control. God's in control of the universe. But I also know that generally speaking, what, what you're saying is, therefore, I don't have to do anything. And those are the very people that will sit on the sidelines, that will, will see evil prevail, but they'll do nothing because God's in control. God's letting that happen. God's in control. We got to get beyond that. We've got to get beyond that, and we got to put our faith into action. We got to get beyond that and get off our backsides, and make a difference in what's happening today. Because first of all, I have grandchildren, and and will, God willing, you're going to have grandchildren, and and it is up to us to secure their future by doing all we can to drive out evil. So this this whole idea that uh, that I can just sit back and do nothing and wait for that trumpet to sound and the rapture is going to take me out of here. Well, first of all, you better hope your theology is right. You better hope it's a pre-tribulation rapture. <laughs> right. You know, 
because it, if, if it isn't, you're going to go through part of this uh, that, that the Bible tells us is coming. So I'm with you on that. I, it, I'm tired of these nominal Christians that know their sins are washed away. They know they've been saved. They know they're going to heaven. Yeah, but do you think while you're here that God saved you just so you could go to heaven? He didn't. He saved you so you could be a warrior in his kingdom. Yes, you're going to heaven. Yes. And it's not it's not about how many good works you do. It is that you've confessed your sins. You're going to heaven. But he certainly expects you to get out there and be a warrior in his kingdom. And that's where we're coming up short. We don't have enough warriors. And, and frankly, in a lot of cases in certain churches, the women are the warriors. And the men are just absent. It's important people remember, too. I mean, the Bible's written by the Holy Spirit, but it's written through men. Yep. And Paul had suffered great loss. We know that Paul had been married because you couldn't be a Pharisee unless you were married. But then we know in 1 Corinthians that he was now single. So we don't know if his wife died or if she left him when he became a Christian. But he had suffered the loss of a wife in some way, shape, or form. Um, the, psalm, the Psalms, when you, David wrote most of them. David had had a child die at birth as a judgment on his sin. Yeah. He had had a daughter be raped. He had had another son be killed by one of his other brothers. So David had suffered extreme heartache as he's writing the Psalms. And so not only did the Holy Spirit write scripture, but he wrote scripture through broken men who had suffered trauma and they understood. And I, you know, another thing on what you're saying is that sometimes Christians can say the worst things. Oh my gosh. The patronizingly <laughs> religious garbage, right? Yeah. And one of the things they, they say is, well, you know, you shouldn't mourn because you know someone's in heaven. Well, I get to mourn the fact that they're not here. Yeah. And I, I, I'm happy for them on the one hand that they're in heaven, but I'm also bummed that they're not with me. Right. And that's okay to feel bad that they're not with me. Yeah. Again, that's what Paul says. He didn't say we don't mourn. He just said we don't mourn like those who have no hope. You know, Ken, one of the things that that we've learned and communicate with people all the time, too, is when someone goes through grief, someone you love goes through grief, there's there's something, and I believe it comes from a good place most of the time, where we want to rescue them. We want to say the thing mm -hmm. that's going to fix it and make it all better. So I want to say to every one of our listeners, that thing doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't exist. I just say shut up. Well, just shut up and listen. So, so let me give you a Bible verse for that, actually, <laughs> because it's good advice. When Job went through what he went through, it said when his friends showed up and saw his grief, they remained silent for seven days. So here's what we tell people. Job's friends only got in trouble when they started talking. Point out the truth. Shut up and practice the ministry of presence. Just be there for somebody. Cook him a meal cut their grass, vacuum their carpet, <laughs> clean their house, just be present. Don't put yourself under the pressure of saying the thing that's going to solve it because it doesn't exist. And whatever you do, do not share Romans 8.28 in those immediate <laughs> days because you might get a fist or a high heel somewhere you might not like it because it's it's inappropriate in those first days. Romans 8:28, all things will work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I believe Romans 
I believe it for my life. But it needs to be a word spoken in due season. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. I was just talking to our mutual friend, Jedediah Thurmer, who's got the coolest name besides maybe Miles, the coolest first name ever. I don't <laughs> yeah, that Jedediah. That's that, cool. that 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 guy is a warrior. Oh man, he is. What they're know, doing, I don't know where mission.me, anybody who wants to know. Yeah. But know. we were talking last night about even the abortion thing. And and people know that I'm very adamantly pro-life uh, and will not back down from it. But and I've gotten lots of Christians angry at me. The best way we could be pro-life is to create conditions where women don't need to choose abortions. The last thing is to make it illegal, and I'm all for making it illegal. But what if we actually changed people's hearts? What if we actually got men staying with women that they got pregnant and raising their children? That would knock abortion way down. So we sometimes get so into laws and forcing people, and that's never Christ. It's about choice. And so so much of what you're talking about is really let's change the inside of us and others. Got to worry about the outside. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in all the issues, it's how God's looking at us, how we're treating people, how we're communicating to people, how we're communi communicating about people at the end of the day. And you're right. We have to be loving and encouraging to people and promote life in every area that we can you know not only life in the womb but life in our relationships and life in, mm -hmm. in eternal life and abundant life and um the anger of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of god you know the gossip of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of god so that's if if, if that can be the filter through which we communicate to everybody and about everybody the church is very vindictive and i'm guilty of that you know um as well and uh but we can be very you know self-righteous you know they're wrong and i'm right they're wrong and god's like mm, mm. You, need to, you need to just check yourself first <laughs> check yourself every day um so yes i agree with that today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of waterstone for nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. There's a lot of people listening to this and they're, they're really hearing your words, but they're also wondering who you are as a person, how credible are you? And I think it's important people know you, you don't, you never sought power. You're a pastor. Yeah. You went to seminary and God called you to run for Congress and then run for Senate. And uh, just to, to pull people in and go, this is not some political conversation. You're not some guy that wants to run for president in four years. You've actually kind of eschewed this the entire way. Yeah. And the Lord has pulled you in. And so talk a little bit about your journey becoming one of the hundred most powerful men in the world today. 
without so, trying to. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, my wife calls this life's greatest interruption for us. Uh, I was, I was <laughs> right. twenty two years in promise keepers. Is that for me? Is, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it. I was twenty two years in ministry. I was doing youth ministry, in fact, and we've had a lot of pastors that have served in Congress. I don't know that we've ever had a youth pastor uh, serving in Congress. And uh, for some people, that uh, excites you that a youth pastor in Congress is in Congress, and some people it would terrify you, depending on your relationship with the youth pastor at your church. But th that's what I did for twenty two years. I love serving students and families. I directed the False Creek Youth Camp. Uh, it's the largest Christian camp in America. Now, do you play the guitar? I do not play the Isn't guitar. Isn't that required to be a youth pastor? I was actually a drummer, uh, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't didn't play the guitar. But that you would think keyboard or guitar is one or the other on, on most of us. Uh, so I, I, but I loved doing that. Assumed I was going to do that the rest of my life. And in 2008 and nine, God completely interrupted our life and called us to run for Congress. And it, it's a much longer story, but it wasn't like lightning in the clouds. It wasn't, you know, some message. It wasn't, dear James, thou shalt run for Congress. It wasn't anything like that. It was, it was this overwhelming sense that this is what I had to do. And for seven months, I struggled with that because I, I have no background in politics. I'm not a lawyer. I have no one in my family that's in politics. I, I don't have money personally. I mean, I don't have any of that, but it was this over and over and over again of this is what follow me looks like. And it was, it, it, you've told students for years that the calling of God is to follow me and you've got to trust him. Now it's your turn. You've got to do this. And so for seven months, I told God, this is crazy. And for seven months, he said, follow me. And so I resigned my position in September of 2009 and announced to my friends I was running for Congress. And they all said, you're running for what? And I said, I'm running for Congress. And they said, that's great. There's no chance. Because people like you don't win. Uh, we had a seven-way primary. Yeah, because in Oklahoma, you have like just yeah. a ton of known oh, Republicans. Oh, and of great people uh, that are there. there. There's a ton of great. And it, for me, it was over and over again. God, there's there's four million people in Oklahoma, and there's a lot of great folks that are there. Well, wh why am I doing this? He just said, follow me. You, you have a task. Uh, I prepared you for this task. Uh, so ran uh, one in 2010. Uh, in a seven-way primary, and then in a runoff a month later, and then in a general election in November, uh, won again uh, two years later, and then two years after that, there was a special election uh, for the Senate, won that seat in the Senate, uh, served for two years, then had to run again uh, two years later on that to serve a full six-year cycle. Um, so it, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind for us, to say the least, but through it all, we've heard God say, this is what follow me looks like. And, and I really do believe and I've met some of these guys. And I remember back in March of 2009 saying to my wife, I, I just, I don't know why we're supposed to do this, but I know we're supposed to do this because I've met that man that's 70 years old that tells me the story about how he didn't follow God's call when he was 30 because he was afraid to, and he didn't do it. And he's 70 and he still regrets it 40 years later, or he's the 85 year old man telling his grandchildren about the time he didn't follow God. I said, I know that guy. I, I don't want to be him. If God calls us to do something, we can't live in fear and say, God, but I don't know how that would actually happen. We have to make the decision to say, okay, if this is what you're really calling me to, I'm going to trust you with the result and where we're going to go from there, but I'm going to do it with all my might. My worst case scenario is to be elected into Congress and to be ineffective at the job because then people would say, don't ever hire a Christian in politics because they can't get the job done. Uh, I want people to be able to say, if you want somebody that's going to get the job done, it's going to work as long as it takes to be able to get it done, hire a Christian because they'll have that Christian work ethic. They'll do it with integrity. They'll do the hard work that needs to be done. They'll listen to the people fairly, and they'll live the biblical principle that's out there all the way back from the book of Leviticus, uh, equal weights and measures. 
the, the general fairness, whether you're black in the inner city, whether you're a black wealthy person in the suburbs, whether you are a male, female, whoever you may be in whatever occupation you be, the biblical principle is everyone is to be treated the same, have the same opportunities, the same e equality in that. That's the equal weights and measures uh, that God condemns when they would change the measurement for certain people when they came, came to buy grain and say, well, you're, you're one of those people, so I'm going to change the measurement. God said, I hate that. I want everyone to be treated fairly. That's a biblical principle. And uh, I want people to be able to know uh, this is not just a good idea for our culture now. It's been a good idea for every culture, just most cultures don't. What would you say to to guys that say that, well, I, I, can't, I can't evangelize. I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. Whether you're at work or play, Jesus, here's what he said. This is, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, text, where is it? It's on the right-hand side of my page. Uh, the text says, uh, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Don't put your light under a lampstand. You know, you, you put it where people can see it. Let your light shine before men. Then he makes an incredible statement. He says, let your light shine before men so that when they see we're back on the good. When they see your good deeds, they will praise the your Father in heaven. He said, that's why you let your light shine. This whole thing about, uh, you know, you can't earn it. You're not, you already have it. You have it. You say, well, how are others going to know that you have it? You let your light shine before them. And they look and they say, that guy ought to be mad about someone writing him a letter cursing him like that. He should be mad or upset. But he seems to smile and just stood in the trash can. He didn't get mad about it at all. He didn't hold it against the person that was bad-mouthing him. He just let it go. So they go through life misunderstanding worship. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You say, how do you win them? When they run up on you, they either should think you're a little strange. As Peter said, live your life here as aliens and strangers. You're like, well, how could that bring people? Because they know you're different than the ones they grew up with. They're like, this dude should be mad, but he's not. He should be sad, but he's joyful. He should be full of anger at what went on there. But he just keep, he just forgives them and moves on. They're like, ha, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Watch, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. We all have gifts. He goes through that. Uh, hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. We're back on the good thing. You say, you hate what's evil. What is evil? Not who. Hate what is evil. You say, don't live like that. Give them. It is written. It is written. It is written. Do you think there's homosexual behaviors a sin? I said, it is written. First Corinthians 6. I'll give you this one. 9 and 10. I quoted that one time, and they all said, he's a mean man. He's a hater. I'm like, no, 
I love them. They ask me a question. I give them what's written. These are old writings. Uh, Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. People see that and they say, something going on there. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Somebody say, you're 74 years old. You don't have to be having podcasts or anything else. He said, why do you do it? So they hear about Jesus trying to convert him until they put me in the ground. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. You say, y'all came, y'all fixing to have some of my famous hamburgers. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. That's you how say, I'll learn to why you do that? I said, you have to practice hospitality. And Peter said, without grumbling. That means that you and your buddies can eat a whole lot and eat more than you think people could hold. I'm not going to be bad-mouthing when you go up the road and, boy, them guys there eat you out of house and home. <laughs> I'm to practice hospitality without grumbling. So if you eat a lot, I'm like, I don't know how you held it, but go for it. <laughs> so, because you say people could grumble. Well, I, you know, I hate to get all these dishes washed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Somebody sees you blessing somebody who you should be cussing out or retaliating. They're like, it confuses them. They're seeing how you win people. That's how you win them. You bring them over. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't play the big dog. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. You're like, do what? Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody? They're all looking. Do the right thing. Man, we got to get to this point where we can talk about conversation instead of running to our tribe. Oh, yeah. I'm an ex-policeman. Therefore, we can never talk about bad cops. Well, how silly. Yeah. We, we've got to stop being worried about being thrown out of the club. You know, I love that, that quote by Groucho Marx. I would never belong to a club that would have me as a member. And uh, <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to be a member of any clubs because their standards have to be so low to have me as yeah. one of their members. You know? <laughs> but that, I mean, that, we started off with this black thing because it's part of that deal. Oh, you, you're out of the club. Yeah. You're out of the club. Well, we see Christians so desperately want to be in the club. And you said something really poignant a while back, which was, we have got to have, find our identity in Christ, mm. not in whatever the club is. Yeah. And it could be color. It could be our denomination. It could be our degree. It could be the fact that I'm an ex-policeman or I played in the NFL or I'm an accountant or whatever. Mm. If you're anything other than a child of Christ, first and foremost, then yeah. you have an idol. Absolutely. And that's why I think you're fine when people say, well, you don't get to be black anymore. You're like whatever yeah i mean i i'll i'll be proud of my own heritage and my own culture i don't need your affirmation yeah what i want to know is that i'm loved by jesus and i've given my life to him well and we're so much more than our color ken i'm a husband that's been married to my high school sweetheart for 26 years i'm a father that's got two amazing daughters that love god that love life 22 and 24 years old that are just passionate about life and and you know, look at the guns on you. There. I feel sorry for the guys that want to date your daughters. <laughs> well, <laughs> 22 and 24, I can't do too much about. 
you know, what they, uh, what they, who they date, but you know, they love God, you know, I'm a business owner. Um, and, uh, and on top of all that, I'm one of Papa's kids, mm. you know, I'm, I'm a rep- I'm a representative of his here, but the greatest, the greatest gift and aspect of who I am that defines me is whose I am. I'm one of Papa God's kids. He loves me. Mm. I'm in his family and I'm here for a reason. And my first ministry is to my wife and to my kids. And then it's to my church, to my business, to those around me. But everywhere I go, I'm supposed to be a minister of reconciliation. So when somebody wants to say, I'm not this or that, it has to do with color. I'm like, I don't even care what you say. That's, that's a distraction. That's, that's a distraction from the enemy. You're being distracted by the enemy by even pointing that out. Mm. But let me just try to love on you. Let me see if I can sow a seed. Is Let me see if I can pray for you, speak life into you, and believe that Papa's going to reach you. And my intent is to take everything that the adversary did against my family and against all everybody else to try to kill them and then flip the script. And I can't think of a better way to do that than to allow God to use this set of all things for good. That's been my motivation to do this. You know, Matt, there's a lot of people listening to this right now, and it's getting forwarded around to people who have lost people through suicide. They just heard your story, and they're like, you got to hear this. And what we're going to deal with in a bit is how to deal with our own issues on that. Mm-hmm. You you kind of gave the answer already, but I just want you to hone in on it a little bit more clearly. What caused you in the wake of that pain to be a fighter instead of a quitter? You know, your whole family, your whole family, a giant chunk – had quit. They'd committed suicide. Right. You, if anybody ever had an excuse to take that same way out, did you have those thoughts or was it just screw you devil? I'm, I'm going to come get you. Like, like, was there a struggle or was it that clear? Um, well, that first father's day, remember she passed away in May, a month later is father's day. That was a very difficult father's day. And I'll just say this. I'm glad Erica walked in the garage the one day, that Father's Day that night, I'm glad she walked to the garage to check up on me. Because, you know, the adversary looks for ways to try to rent space in your head through thoughts. And there's such a weight of hopelessness that he tries to infer. So um, it's not uh, it's not this whole, um, I'm this, you know, hardcore commando that's going to push through. It is a very real human side to it. And there's absolutely, he, the, he is a liar, is a liar from the beginning. The truth is not in him. And that Father's Day was probably the worst one. Difficult, very challenging. But that's where – and she called my friend Tim, by the way. Hey, you need to talk to Matt. And uh, Tim talked me on the phone, and, and that's when I said, wait a minute. This is – no, you're not taking me out. You're not doing it. And, uh, again, I've, I've, I, through, the, through this whole process, I've said some pretty what, – what some uh, fellow Christians probably say some – we call some irreverent prayers. Hmm. But God's on the throne, and – the way Matt's feeling, I mean, dropping a couple of select words is not going to is not going to dethrone him. I think he gets God it. likes honest prayers. Yeah, I think he'll take those over their little religious polite prayers any day. Yeah, especially when you're going through stuff like this and keep it real. And I think, and I'm just wired that way. I've been doing this military thing now for almost almost 23 years. Um, it's not in my nature to quit. It's not. Satan's a bully. I don't like bullies. I joined the military and I've been around the world. I've seen what bullies do to whole entire cultures. I don't like, but and the enemy is a bully. Bullied my kid. Boy, my dad, boy, my brother. And um, again, it's not my nature. And greater is he that is in me 
than he that's in the world. Those, those aren't just words to me. They're not just poetry. It doesn't just sound good. That's real. That's a lifeline. If we're at proper understanding, we have to understand what is the image of God. And I feel like we've really gotten it wrong in so many ways. I feel like we don't really know who Christ is. And as these lines get divided so much, it's easy for people to be lazy and to just stay in their in their little tribe. And there's lots of little tribes all over. And you talked about how both political parties are exploiting. And this coming from, a, a, I'm a very conservative, you're very conservative, so we're not we're not trying to you know, go all crazy here. But yet at the same time, we realize both political parties are exploiting people along every possible line we can be. And what we're saying is we have got to be unified in our identity as, as children of God created in the image of, of God and, and be Christ-like. But in order to do that, we have to know who Christ is. And I feel like we have, we're teaching an apostate Christ right now that the Jesus people think they know isn't really Jesus. It's an idol named Jesus. Well, you know, I look I, the image of God, and and that that passage in, in in Genesis where it says God created us in His image and is like us, it, it it means that we are to be imagers of God, reflections like Jesus. Hebrews, you know, uh, chapter one, verse three, He is the express image of His radiant glory. You know, uh, and that's what we were intended to be—to image God. In, in, in our work, in our relationships, in, in our play, in everything that we do, uh, we are to image God. How do we know what the image of God is? What does God look like? And that's where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now we understand that the statement is simple, but the idea of imaging God is quite complex. Because when you study the life of Jesus and his interactions with people, those in power, those not in power, those, you know, uh, with different ideas about life, you know, you, you examine it carefully and say, wow, there, there's a lot to this. It, it, it takes time, but I can gather that God is love, God is life, God is light, God is justice, you know, God is mercy, God is providence. You know, I can begin to extract these things from my observations. And, you know, this is what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1. He said that the, that the invisible things of God can be clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal Godhead. So there is what we can study of creation as a reflection of the invisible God and come to some very important conclusions uh, uh, about him and about ourselves, about each other. You've had a lot of success writing books, and I know that you've had some people be resentful of the fact that you've had some success. You, it's not money that you earned through the ministry or being a pastor. You sold books, you signed contracts, you did way extra work. We've already talked about how hard it is to write a book. It's, it's a lot of work. You've reaped the rewards and then you have people rip on you for it, right? <laughs> yeah. So you have, you know, in the church, a poverty mentality of yeah. people who think you should never have anything. And then over here, we have people who have private jets and lots of houses mm. and a lot of those people they wrote books. I mean, um, we won't mention any names, but you yeah. know who I'm talking about. Yeah. They've sold 50 or 60 million books yeah. that paid for the private jet and all that yeah. stuff. Where do you find a balance in that? Like, like the people are listening to this going, you know, you, you suffer for Christ. I know that you, the lifestyle that you live, it's pretty modest. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not flying around any private jets. Yeah. Um, where do you find a balance on that? Like, 
yeah. Christians, the poverty mentality versus if you're really, really successful, you've earned the money. And, and even if yeah. you get 50 percent of it away, you're still making 30 million a year in, in business. Where, where, how do you come across it with as a pastor? How do you counsel yeah. people on that? Well, let, let me preface it with everybody ought to have a few quotes that they quote all the time. And for me, one of them is in Oswald Chambers. That's always he, a good one. It is. Any, a, any of, yeah. Any of. I mean, my utmost for his highest is that I don't think there'll ever be another devotional. If there's that another even book to have it. on your nice and besides the Bible. It's that my yes. utmost for his highest. Absolutely. Chambers. And so Chambers said, let God be as original with others as he was with you. Oh, I like and that. so, Ken, I have to be really careful that I don't stand in judgment of your lifestyle or vice versa. But I will say this, I'll make no apologies for this. God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living. He blesses us to raise our standard of giving. And so, you know, my wife and I have a publicly stated goal of eventually reverse tithing, living off of 10%, giving 90%. And we, uh, I mean, it's on record, so I might as well tell you, I mean, I, I think one reason why the Lord blessed the circle maker is that with that book, you know, we started, you know, 10, 10, 90, you know, we would tithe and then we went double tithe, you know, before that book, we, we said, let's go 50, 50 and see what the Lord does. And, um, and we're, we're past that. Um, wow. and so, you know, I think we, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Our greatest joy is giving stuff away. Mm. And so we're, we, uh, you know, until a couple of years ago, I drove a, a Honda Accord, a 95 Honda Accord with 240,000 miles. But I'm not judging anybody that's driving the new nice car. And I, I now drive a 2016, uh, Forerunner. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a mid level vehicle and, I occasionally eat it that, you know, I once wrote about a dinner that I had at the Cheesecake Factory. Can you believe this? Someone wrote me a letter and got so worked up over it. What are you doing eating at the Cheesecake Factory? Wow. <laughs> and so, listen, I just have realized, Ken, you, you can please all of the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. So it really is, it's it's living according to your conscience and your convictions, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. I, you know, I, I'm just, we have four family values, humility, gratitude, generosity, and courage. And I'm, I'm not perfect at any of them, but I'm, I'm a work at progress in those four things. And, and generosity is one of those four. And so our heart, all the toys go back in the box at the end of the game. And mm -hmm. so like, mm -hmm. let, let's be, let's be living generously and giving away our time, talent and treasure. So that, that's kind of our heart. And, um, you know, I've led long enough to know people will question your motives and question your heart. And that's why years ago, Ken, I defined success for myself. And it's this, it's when those who know me best respect me most. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. 
To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.